Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Welcome to the MLB Daily Podcast. I'm Brandon Karam, alongside Belly Up Sports, Boston Red Sox beat writer, L.J. LaFiora. L.J., uh, how are we doing tonight on this fine Sunday night? Very good. We are very excited for tomorrow. Tomorrow is Patriots Day, my second game of attendance this season of three that are planned so far. So it's going to be a bit, bit of an early morning for what I've been used to with us recording the show late, but I think I can handle it for this. It's certainly a worthwhile reason. Now it's a double header for the Red Sox tomorrow, correct? Or no? No, today was a double header. Today was a double header. So how come the game is starting at 11 in the morning? It always does on Patriots Day. Oh, interesting. All right. Well, that that should be nice. Uh, I'm in class from like 10 through to 12 tomorrow, but then I should be able to watch most of that game, which will be awesome to start the day because there's not a lot of games tomorrow. No, there isn't. And there's there's nothing better than seeing those Boston Strong jerseys. You know what? I they they really did grow on me when I first saw them. I was like, wow, like that is you know, I understood what they were doing, but then when I finally saw them in play, they look awesome. Oh, those ones? Um, I wasn't meaning the uh, City Connect ones. The oh, City Connect oh. ones, I don't mind them. I'm still kind of the same feeling on them. I will say they look a lot worse dirty than I was expecting. 
<laughs> I'm not yeah. sure if you noticed it in the first game of the series with the White Sox. Uh, obviously, Rafael Devers dove for a ball in like the first or second inning because I missed the uh, first like half an inning or whatever. I'm pretty sure, like 90% sure he had to have dove because it looked almost like he spilt a juice box all over the front of him with the yellow mixing with the red clay. It was just the weirdest thing. It fit him so much, but like it just was not the look. No, I'm talking about the uh, what Red Sox whites with the Boston on the chest instead. Same ones they've been using every year since 2013. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, should be fun to yeah. be able to watch some early morning baseball. But uh, LJ, what do you say we get into the recaps today? Because we do have quite a bit. And then we have a few topics that we want to talk about. One at the end, we're very excited to do mm. uh, kind of an interesting segment relating to what just happened in European soccer, if anyone follows that. But we'll explain it all once we get there. Yeah, so let's get started. Do I have the first game? I do have the first game. That is right. Um, Yeah, so the White Sox and Red Sox did a doubleheader today. Uh, The first one started at one. Scoring started in the first when Tim Anderson went yard for one. One of three runs Red Sox pitcher Tanner Houck gave up that day. Down three to one, Kike Hernandez helped cut the deficit with a 340-foot blue pomer, but the Red Sox fall three to two. Give the win to Dallas Keuchel. He's now one and zero. He went five innings, allowing two earned runs, and the loss will go to Tanner Houck, who is now zero and two after getting his only two opportunities of the year have both shown very poor uh, run support. So he went for in two thirds of an inning, allowing three earned runs. Now, Brandon, I know you're probably going to be very opinionated on this because you always seem to be. Is that right field the strangest thing in ba- one of the strangest things in baseball to you? The Fenway Park right field. Yeah, because it's like one of those things where everyone gives uh, Fenway so much crap for being so easy to hit it out to right field. Granted, it is easy. The wall is very low out there. However, most of the time they're talking about how close it is. But it's really only close in this very tiny sliver around the foul pole. Like, the way it cuts in is just so bizarre that, like, the, yeah. odds, the odds of you hitting the short home run is, like, 1% at best. Yeah, I don't, you know, I always, you know, uh, have not liked how short it is there in, in a right field, but you don't see a lot of home runs that happen uh, like pulled very down the line. My problem is that I think the, the uh, green monster makes offense too easy for, for guys to hit it because the, the green monster is not that far away. First of all, any ball that would be uh, able to get tracked down in a deep left field at any other stadium is just going to hit off the wall. So, I mean, it seems like that, Fenway, yes, it is, you know, they have the the green monster and some interesting park dimensions, but I think that people don't really uh think about how much of an offensive effect the the green monster has. I, I want to hear what, what what you think about that. Yeah, I mean it's certainly a pitcher or hitter's park. And 
it's something you always know and you kind of grow to love about the place because it's just fun. The fact that if you can hit a ball that's really warning track in a lot of other places, it's a guaranteed double, regardless of where the, the where the player ends up. I mean, it doesn't, yeah, it really doesn't matter, except in a very few instances. I mean, my dad ca- talks about uh, Carly Ostremski being able to throw guys out from off the wall, but I had never really seen it. I cannot remember seeing it until Franchi Cordero. <laughs> this is possibly the most athletic and biggest arm we have had in left field in my memory, where I've seen now multiple occasions where he has just gunned guys down, particularly it was yesterday, Yerman Mercedes hits one off the monster, should be a guaranteed double. Cordero misplays it off the wall and still guns him down at second. Just the firepower, the firepower from there is absolutely fantastic to me. It's one of my favorite, one of the highlights of the year, in my opinion, is seeing him play that wall. Uh, let's get on to the second game. Why don't we? Um, so the Red Sox struggled to get going against the hot arm of Michael Kopech. Of course, the major prospect that the Red Sox gave up in the Chris Sale trade. This allowed the White Sox to score the first four runs of the game, including a home run uh, for that vermin, Yerman Mercedes. The Red Sox fall five to one. Give the win to Matt Foster. The loss to Martin Perez, who went three and two thirds of an inning, allowing four earned runs. Michael Kopech went three innings, allowing one hit, one walk, and one earned run in his first start in two years. These two teams will play again, of course, on Monday. They've got Lucas Giolito going up against Nathan Ivaldi. So. You've got a guy who was in the Cy Young conversation going into the year, coming up against Boston's best arm over the past two years. Should be a good one. On to the Pirates and the Brewers. It was the Brew Crew scoring two runs in the first inning on a home run from Daniel Vogelback and then a Travis Shaw double. The Pirates would take the lead, however, on a Colin Moran three-run home run in the third inning. Avasayel Garcia tied it back up with a solo home run for the Brewers. The teams would exchange home runs once again in the seventh inning with Brian Anderson for the Pirates. Not Brian Anderson, Brett Anderson, I believe, for the Pirates and Daniel Vogelback going yard once again for the Brewers. This game would end up going to extras tied five to five and the only run came in extras. Uh, the only run that occurred in extra innings was on a Colin Moran double in the top of the 10th. Uh, and the, the Brewers couldn't produce any offense. The Pirates get the W and take two out of three from the Brewers. Give the win to Richard Rodriguez, who is 1-0 and on the year. Now he goes two innings long, no hits and no runs. Give the loss to J.P. Fireisen who is now 0-1 on the year. He goes one inning long, one hit, no runs. And I'm sorry, not Brett, uh, Brett Anderson, uh, Brian Reynolds of the Pirates. That's my bad. The Pirates improved to 7-9, and nine, and the, the Brewers fall to 8-7. and seven. The Pirates don't play today, but start a series with the Tigers Tuesday. 
The Brewers travel to San Diego and take on the Pirates today. A red-hot Corbin Burns, who's been the best pitcher in the league this year, in my opinion, takes on San Diego starter Chris Paddock. All right. Early in this Phillies versus Cardinals matchup, Bryce Harper decided to remind the world that he isn't like Acuna. He's like Acuna, unloading on a 425-foot homer. Alec Bohm also added an RBI in the game, but the day was Aaron Nola's, who peached pitched a complete game shutout with 10 strikeouts. The final 2-0 Phillies give the win to Nola and the loss to John Gant, who's now 0-2 on the year. He went five innings, allowing two earned runs and striking out five. Frankly, Brandon, this is the second loss of the season that just really shouldn't have been for this guy. He's really been pitching a great game. It's a shame to see it work out that way. Yeah, I have a guy later on uh, in one of my recaps who absolutely should not have gotten the loss for today. But yeah, John Gantz had a tough two starts, but uh, yeah, uh, hopefully he can get some uh, good uh, run support at some point. Yeah. Today's matchup will be Kevin Gosman versus Chase Anderson. On to the nationals and the D backs three solo home runs from, from both teams open the scoring in the first four innings. Those coming from Josh Rojas and Carson Kelly of the Diamondbacks and Trey Turner of the Nationals. That would give the D-backs a 2-1 to lead. In the top of the seventh inning, Paven Smith had a two-run double and made it 4-1 to Diamondbacks. Trey Turner hit his second home run of the game in the bottom of that inning, but it would not be enough and the Diamondbacks win 5-2. to Give the win to Madison Bumgarner, his first good start of the year. He goes, uh, he's now one and two. He goes five innings, allowing two hits, one run, and striking out five. The loss goes to Nationals starter Pablo Espino, who's now 0 and 1. He goes four and a third, allowing five hits and two runs. The save goes to Stefan Christian, his first of the year. The Diamondbacks improved to six and 10. The Nationals are now five and eight. The Nats host the Cardinals today. Jack Flaherty takes on Joe Ross. And the Diamondbacks start a series in Cincinnati on Tuesday against the Big Red Contraption. All right, Indians and Reds. The Indians got out to an early lead by way of the long ball. Two by Jose Ramirez and Roberto Perez gave Cleveland a 4-0 lead. Despite Joey Votto and Tyler Naquin's best attempts, they did not have an answer for Shane Bieber and lost game two of the Ohio series six to three. Give the win to Shane Bieber, who's now two and one. He went eight innings along three earned runs and a record 13 Ks, which we will explain later in the show. Give the loss to Wade Miley. He went five innings along four earned runs and striking out five batters and the save. His fourth of the season will be Emmanuel Classes. As Brandon already talked about the Big Red Contraption, it is time to mention the fact that the White Sox will have the Indians on Tuesday, where Zach Plezak will have to face Carlos Rondon, our most recent no-hit pitcher. All right, on to the Ooh. Yankees and the Rays. Uh, Another tough one. LJ, you look like you're ready to say something, so I'll just let you say it here at the start. Or are you going to show good. pity again? I'm all good. Okay. Well, 
let's just get into the game and then I really need to give my thoughts because now that I'm back at college and I can give uh, a few thoughts on how the team's been playing uh, over the past week. But mommy's not there to talk about your language. <laughs> As for the game, the Yankees get on the board uh, first in the bottom of the second inning on a Giancarlo Stanton home run, his third of the year. Then it was all downhill from there. Uh, top of the third, Yandy Diaz uh, has an RBI single. Uh, a run scores on a fielding error by center fielder Aaron Hicks, who might have played the worst a defensive game by a single player I've seen in quite a while. He was only credited with one error today, but there was three plays that were that were pretty much game changing. I'd say that he made uh, that just. Uh, but Brandon, don't you we, have Clint Frazier on your team? It could oh, be the worst performance. Well, all right. Look, the 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 Clint Frazier is a bad fielder thing. He he was a Gold Glove finalist or, last year. No, I'm not. I'm not. Deba- I'm not debating the fact that he is now a much better, much improved fielder. I'm just saying 2018-2019, Clint Frazier was atrocious. Oh, fair, yeah. And to be fair, uh, he did have a play in today's game where Clint Frazier, there was runners on first and third with one out. This is the next play I want to talk about. So it was a Manuel Margot sack fly. Runners on first and third. Clint Frazier gets the ball, and it's deep. So a a run is going to score. And he decides to throw the ball all the way to second base. But the throw was so far offline that Garrett Cole and DJ LeMahieu almost collide trying to catch the ball in between second base and first base. What, like, I get that. Uh, I think it was Yandy Diaz who was, who was advancing to second. And he's not a fast player. It's just an unnecessary throw. Just hit the cutoff, man. Like, I I don't know, especially when he was so deep. But so after that, the Rays would take a 2-1 lead. The Yankees would tie it up in the bottom of the fifth after a Gio Rochella double. DJ LeMahieu hits him home, and we had a 2-2 game. The top of the seventh, uh, Garrett Cole walks back out there. He allows a double to – an RBI double to Yoshi Satsugo. That makes it a three to two Tampa Bay lead. The Yankees offense would falter basically through, throughout this entire game. The, the three hits that I've said so far in the scoring recaps were the only three hits the Yankees had today. Giancarlo Stanton home run, Gio Rochella double, and then a DJ single. Uh, Joey Wendell would homer in the ninth inning, uh, his third of the year, and he's been killing us the whole series. That would top it off a four to two Rays win. The win goes to Ryan Yarborough, who coming into this game had the lowest ERA out of any qualified pitcher. Once again, I, I made this comparison the other night to Michael Waka. Uh, he looked like Randy Johnson today, especially with the left-handed sidearm action that he has. Absolutely looked like Randy Johnson in the, in the innings I got to see. He's one and two on the year now. The loss goes to, to Garrett Cole, who had a DeGrom-esque start. Six and a third, five hits, two earned runs, strikes out 10, takes the blame in the postseason or in the postgame interview, which absolutely he shouldn't have, but he's two and one on the year now. The save goes to Jeffrey Springs on the Rays. Uh, that's his first of the year. All right, on to my, my thoughts. 
Now the Yankees are five and ten. We have the worst record in the American League. We have the second worst record in the league in front of the Colorado Rockies, who are four and twelve. So they've just played more games than we have. Uh, they've played one more game than we have. So, I mean, it's been the same issues every year. It's all just based on our hitting philosophy. It's, I just, I don't even know where to start. I guess, look, the Yankees see, I forget who tweeted out today, but the Yankees see the least amount of fastballs in the entire league. Teams just absolutely just throw so many breaking balls because they know that our power guys can't hit it. It's so frustrating to watch Judge and Stanton and not only those guys, but just everyone on our team because they sit up there and they just wait for one pitch because that's the Yankees hitting philosophy. You jump on the one mistake that the pitcher makes and you hit it out of the park, which maybe over a 162 game season works. But in short spurts, it's not only terrible baseball to watch because the offense just goes anemic for times. I'm pretty sure over the three games this weekend, we only had 11 hits, 11 hits in three games today. We're three for 30 hitting. We literally made Jay Bruce retire because he didn't want to stay with us. I mean, prior to the game, he literally goes up to Aaron Boone and says, yeah, I'm going to retire. Uh, not to mention, he wasn't hitting good anyways, but... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's just a philosophy problem. Uh, not only that, the fact that, that a Brian Cashman... I was very confident in the Yankees coming into this year. LJ knows that everyone on the podcast heard that. I was confident in this team. I don't know why I was because it's been the same thing for forever. Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner have the money to spend. They don't want to go over the, the luxury tax for a second year in a row because they're so scared. And then we see what the LA Dodgers do. They go out and spend a money and they're uh, like 13 and three. Now the Yankees are five and 10. We could have used another pitcher. We could have re-signed Tanaka. We could have used another bat. We could have got a guy like Michael Brantley. I mean, there's just so many moves that we could have made, but it's just all half-assed put together. We signed two pitchers with proven injury issues. It's not a fun time to be a Yankee fan right now, and I've never seen this amount of fans online show as much negativity towards the team ever I mean even when we lost 10 in a row last year there was still more hope than there was now I mean this is just uh, it's very bad I mean I I don't even know where we go from here obviously we have tomorrow off we play Atlanta uh on Tuesday and Wednesday uh I saw that Ronald Acuna did leave tonight's game, but I think he's fine. Honestly, he he could hit four home runs in the series, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised. And we could somehow get shut down by that brave starting rotation that is slowly getting injured uh, once again. But 
Yeah, that's that's all I have for now. That's all I, I really want to talk about. Uh, I don't want to go too long because we have more games. But, yeah, just my thoughts. Um, first off, with this type of stuff, you're more than entitled to go as long as you'd like. I've got a couple reactions to what you said here. The first one is I 100% agree with you. I've spent my entire life growing up in upstate New York, Yankee country, and even in years where they were bad, like you have to admit there were some, there were some years, even though you guys signed guys in the mid two thousands before the baby bombers started to come in in 2017, 2016, there was, were some years where there weren't good, really good teams on paper. However, I have never seen the fan base so angry and so down on the, on the team than I am right now. Like, there are worse teams on paper that were shown more love than this. That shows you how bad the problems are there. And I have to question or at least challenge you on your fact of spending money because spending money doesn't mean a thing. You can easily spend a lot of money, get Marcelo Zuna or someone who is a fantastic hitter, do whatever you need to, to get the top players. However, if the, it's a philosophy issue, if you do not stop forcing these three true outcomes, which will not work in the postseason, if you're fo- overly focused on these three true outcomes, especially when you're like the Yankees who are focused on one, then you aren't going to succeed. You need to have a balanced roster with different skill sets you need to have more of an emphasis on contact hitting i will say that until a day i die no matter how much of a home run league this becomes you need the guys on base you need the guys who are going to be able to a have that plate discipline to take the walks but they're also going to when the pitcher isn't making mistakes they're going to get the bat on the ball because when the bat gets on the ball something's going to happen might be a foul might be right at a guy you may still end up getting no hit but you're going to have a lot better a chance if you have the bat on the ball rather than just swinging for the fences out of your shoes every single time. And so I have spent the past four or three and a half seasons watching them do this exact thing and be entirely focused and fall all in on the power. And I don't see how that's gotten them any farther. It's just gotten them worse as you see guys like, Honestly, a perfect example is Brett Gardner really was one of their few contact guys in those earlier couple teams before DJ. He's on the downtrend. No matter what you say, he's getting older. He's getting older. He he cannot be relied on to be the sole contact hitter. DJ shouldn't and can't be successfully relied on to be the sole contact hitter in the lineup. It just will not work. It, It will not work to keep yourselves in a playoff race if you end up in that push coming into September. It won't help you if a couple of these power guys really don't find it this year. Then then you're shit out of luck. And then if you get into playoffs, you're done. Like, if, if these guys aren't all on, you've got very little chance of being successful. And so that's why I think even if they do spend the money it isn't going to mean anything until they change the philosophy. Spending money for hitting, yes, I agree. But as for the pitching, that I don't know what the, the front office was thinking this offseason. 
You could have gotten one out. I'm not saying you have to sign Trevor Bauer, but there was much better arms that you could have got instead of Corey Kluber and Jamison Tyone. You could have went out and gotten Aaron Sanchez, a Jake Odorizzi. Uh, there's plenty, of, you know, a Mark, or not a Marcus Stroman, a Taiwan Walker. Uh, there was a John Lester even, like, because we could use another arm, like like another lefty. There was there's arms that we could have gone went out and got, and we choose the risky, the high risk. Like a one year contract with Corey Kluber does limit the risk a little, but that's your number two, number three starter, Jamison Tyone. Two Tommy John surgeries, and he's had cancer in the past. Not saying that that has any effect on it, but he certainly has not been healthy for uh, a, a long time. Uh, at, for a long period of time in in recent history, we signed him to be our three starter. Then it's like, oh, we're just going to have Michael King and Davey Garcia. And uh, who, who else do we have? Oh, Jordan, Jordan Montgomery. You're, you're not going to win a playoff series when you have one ace and the rest are just fill-ins. You need LJ. I think I went I me and you, I went through and I found the, in the last 10 World Series, the team that won had a pitcher, had at least two starting pitchers that had five war or more. And mm-hmm. that holds true for the 2020 Dodgers if you uh, prorate their, their, their numbers over a full season. You need pitching, specifically starting pitching, and you need to be able to hit in both clutch times and you need to be able to, like LJ said, have those good contact guys who are going to move the runners around because runners on base in the playoffs has so much more of a meaning than it does in the regular season. Every runner is just so much more high stakes that it's you, you just need those guys to be able to, you know, uh, just keep, keep advancing the runners. But yeah, that's, that's all I have to say on this for now. Uh, we still got more recaps, but you know, yeah. it's just, it's just another, it, another it's thing rough. I want to bring up before we move on. And again, we can certainly, we should, certainly should talk about this more later on is two things. First off, you're, you're right. They have done everything they can in their power to blow the pitching staff throughout this entire Whatever you, whatever, what would you like to call the prime of this Yankees team? I would technically consider 2018 seeing 2017 was a total shock. Yeah. So I'd say for like this, for, for this current roster makeup, 2018 and on. When Stanton came up, when Judge was a full on player, Severino, you were no longer calling them the baby bombers or anything like that. Um, Yeah. So from then on, it, for, from right at the beginning, it was in abundantly clear that they needed an ace if they were going to succeed. They did nothing to go about bringing one in. They sat on their prospects, which ended up being kind of the right move because, they, because of their choice to bring a lot of injuries. But, of course, that's another team-building issue. But if you have... If you move on from a couple of those guys to get an ace, that makes things that makes you a much bigger contender earlier on. They've all of a sudden go get their ace. And what do they do? They neglect the rest of the rotation. The rotation itself, if if you were to not call any of those guys, Hap, uh, Tanaka, Severino, 
um, Paxton, if you weren't to call any of those guys the ace and then you brought another ace in, that's a really good rotation. However, now instead you've got the opposite of what you had a couple of years ago where you have an ace and you've got very little behind it, or at least a little that you can trust. So it's just, it's ridiculous. And the other ridiculous thing that drives me crazy is, and the Dodgers have moved away from it, is the fact that there's still this mentality that big market teams should be focused on buying, on outsourcing, basically. We, you were talking about it the other day, I think you named about two pitchers that have come through the Yankees system and been with the Yankees. And so the time with the Yankees. I said that since 2000, the Yankees have not fully developed like a solid long career starting pitcher. The closest that they got, if you want to count Luisa Severino, I, you know, he's been hurt for too long. If you want to count Jordan Montgomery, also had injury issues. Jabba Chamberlain is the last one there. I mean, he comes up in 2007, I believe. And then they just messed with him so much. Over the whole 2008 season, he's starting, he's out of the bullpen, he's this, he's that. They just, they, they screwed with his development way too much. And that's why he was out of the league at age 30. It's just... The Yankees have to be the only team in recent history to have zero starting pitchers come up through their minor league system and be a solid player. I really struggle to find one because we've made, if you look at Yankees history in the past, in the offseason, it was always going out to acquire pitching. In between the 2003 and 2004 seasons, or it might have been 04 and 05, both the Yankees and the Red Sox, back when Theo Epstein ran the Red Sox, were going after a pitcher called Jose Contreras. The Yankees signed him. Yep. And okay, so at the start of the 2003 season, the Yankees signed him. Turns out to not be very good. The Yankees signed Keigawa uh, in 2007 to an expensive contract from Japan. Turns out to be not very good. We see the Yankees then go out and get guys like Hiroki Kuroda, Masahiro Tanaka. Tanaka, yes, turns out to be good, but these are all free agents. There's none of them that come up through the farm system. We trade away our farm system pitchers. A Justice Sheffield, who was our top farm system arm, we trade him for James Paxton. And James Paxton's now out for the year, and, and a Justice a Sheffield is pitching for the Mariners. So... All right, well, let's actually, let's take away from just starting pitchers because, frankly, I don't think that matters. At least it doesn't matter to me if you're bringing in three, four, fives. I want quality arms. And so from there, over the last, what was it, 20 years, you've given me two that have been quality arms at any point. Jabba Chamberlain, Luis Severino. That isn't unheard of for big market teams, or at least particularly the Yankees and the Red Sox, because they've done basically the same thing here, where if at least the Red Sox have been getting high A, like double A, triple A prospects in trades that end up being pitchers like Eduardo Rodriguez and stuff. But in terms of homegrown products, you've got those two for the Yankees. I can think of, I'm not ready to call Hauk yet, 
However, past that, the only quality arm the Red Sox have produced in my memory is, as a starter, is John Lester. The bullpen, you've had a little better success. You got Jonathan Papabon. You got Daniel Bard, who they almost ruined his career. You've got Brandon Workman. You got Matt Barnes. That's still five total pitchers that have come up and been quality arms from start or relief. So I guess the question is, why do they still think it's not that important to focus on bringing these guys up, focus, make that a development focus? Because I know that was the whole mentality in the 90s was, okay, don't worry. They weren't as nearly as concerned about the farm system other than like hitting big um, big prospects as much as they were because they could just fill in all the pieces by spending as much as they wanted. But we've, we see it working. We see the Dodgers with seven MLB caliber starters, seven guys that could probably be a three on most rosters, three or higher on most rosters in the league. So why is the mentality stayed the same for so long? Uh, I don't know. I think that that's the – world series winning question that's you know that's that's what it separates that's what could separate this team if the offense does get it figured out but we went way too long on this definitely that's my Uh, fault we still have oh no bro it's 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 a it's a both of our faults but we still have recaps to do and then we want to get through that other segment so uh yeah well the other question is is it really a fault i enjoyed myself uh yeah yeah, exactly blue jays blue jays and royals the difference in a well-pitched game came in the seventh when Salvador Perez stepped up to the plate against TJ Zuch, who I talked about with Graham Wallace on Saturday's show. Go back, check that out. For the second time in the last two days, Perez went brah and booted the ball 441 feet for two runs. The final, 2-0 Kansas City. Give the win to Kyler Zimmer, the loss to TJ Zuch, the save to Greg Holland, his second. Brady Singer had six innings of shutout ball with six strikeouts, while Toronto's Robbie Ray had five innings of shutout ball with six strikeouts. On to the Giants and the Marlins. The only run in this game came from an Alex Dickerson single in the third inning. Alex Alex Dickerson is a part of the We Stan Otani's fantasy baseball team who's now in third place little fantasy update right here quick papa elgin first oh is it tuesdays yeah oh all right we'll do it uh tuesday then i thought it was tuesdays all right what else would have been tuesdays oh monday was actually this is a perfect day monday is supposed to be your hall of fame but we can push that to tomorrow got it all right well the only run in this game came on an alex dickerson single in the third inning After a very dramatic first two games in this series, it's only fair to have a low-scoring pitcher's duel. The Giants avoid the sweep and win 1-0. Give the win to Alex Wood. Five innings of three-hit, no-run ball, striking out four. Here's that loss I was talking about earlier. Pablo Lopez for the Marlins goes six innings, allowing six hits, no earned runs, and strikes out nine guys and is now 0-2 on the year. Just brutal for him to take the loss today six innings of no earned runs is is tough Tyler Rogers gets his first save of the year for the Giants 
over to the O's and the Rangers. Baltimore and Texas have long been regarded as the worst teams in the league, so it shouldn't be surprising that these games are either way too high scoring or, in this case, way too low. So uh, I just wanted to add in a little something here. So, of course, uh, this this weekend I was in Florida, and I was actually my, – my mom and I were planning on uh, going to a couple of games in this series, actually, instead of going to Florida. That was our first plan because the Texas Rangers, uh, of course, are operating at 100% capacity, and we had never been in that ballpark. But we chose to go to Florida instead, and so uh, – yeah, I I think what what I did it for us was that as you you are right, these are two of the worst teams in the league and have been for quite a while. Um, yeah, um, just a pitch right now while we're on air, because why not? Just because this might be the last time, even though we've probably missed the opportunity already. Episode title: Florida Man Bows Gasket Over Yankees. <laughs> I like that. Um. All right, yeah, the game remained nil-nil until the bottom of the 10th when Nate Lau drove in the game-winning run. Give the win to John King, the loss to Travis Lakins. John Means went seven innings, striking out nine, of course, scoreless. And Kyle Gibson went eight innings with six strikeouts. The uh, Rangers will go to Los Angeles on Tuesday to play the Angels and face Otani. On to the Mets and the Rockies. Another low-scoring game today. It seemed like we had a lot of real low-scoring games today. Both starters, Marcus Stroman for the Mets and Antonio Senzatello for the Rockies worked very well. The scoring came from a Jeff McNeil ground out in the second and then a J.D. Davis single to make it 2-0 Mets after four. A Charlie Blackman single was not enough to ignite a comeback, and the Mets win 2-1. Give the win to Marcus Stroman, who's now 3-0 and has a 0.90 ERA. Uh, the Mets. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready legitimately have two of the best pitchers so far in the national league this year. Uh, Stroman goes eight innings, a three hit one run ball striking out five. The loss goes to Antonio Senzatella, who's one and three, six innings, five hits, one earned for him striking out four. Edwin Diaz gets his second save of the year. The Mets are now seven and four. The Rockies are four and 12. Neither team plays today. The Mets start a series with the Cubs in Chicago and the Rockies host the Astros, both of those starting on Tuesday. Let's get on to the Astros and the Mariners. The Astros stayed in the game 
and even led two to one until the fifth when Mitch Hanniger got the bat going and drove in two runs. Later on that inning, Ty France put it out of the park to drive in two more. They win seven to two. Give the win to L. J. Newsom. The loss will be given to Jake Odorizzi. He went four and a third of an inning, allowing four earned runs and striking out seven batters. And Brandon, Nikki M went four innings, allowing one earned run. The uh, Seattle Mariners will host the Dodgers on Tuesday. It'll be Julio Urias against Marco Gonzalez. I really wish that uh, Nikki M threw a no-hitter today. Nikki M, a Nikki M no hitter would have been absolutely amazing. I would have lost my mind. New favorite player, Seattle Mariners pick for the for our Hall of Fame pick easily. Even with L. J. Newsom. Oh my God, we got competition. Big competition here. <laughs> On to the Tigers and A's. A Ramon Laureano triple opened up the scoring in the bottom of the fourth for the A's. The Tigers would take the lead, though, on a Harold Castro two-RBI single, but the A's offense would come back on a Sean Murphy single, and then they walked it off on a fielding error by Tigers third baseman Jamer Candelario, another uh, member of my fantasy team. Thank God errors are not a stat there. Uh, Give the win to Lou Trevino of the A's out of the bullpen, pitches the top of the ninth inning. The loss goes to uh, Gregory Soto out of the Tigers' pen. LJ, the A's are 9-7 and seven and have won eight games in a row after starting off 1-7. The Tigers are now 6-10. and 10. All right, let's go on over to Brandon. This game was our laser show of the day. The Braves and the Cubs. Pew! Pew, 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 pew. Uh, things went a little crazy early as the two teams combined for five home runs in the first inning, six through three innings. This included a 421-foot home run for Freddie Freeman, his longest home run of the year, I believe, also the game's longest home run. The Cubs couldn't keep pace and lost 13-4. to Give the win to Bryce Wilson, who went five innings, allowing two earned runs. The loss will be given to Kyle Hendricks, who went four innings, allowing seven runs. And this was, again, another thrilling Sunday night baseball game. Yeah, I was not able to watch really any of this, but uh, very entertaining. It seems like the three games that we've had this year have all been very captivating. You know, Mm. uh, five home runs in the first inning will certainly get the – Per, the, the the person who who isn't a big a baseball fan that'll get them you know interested a little bit so uh pretty cool to see that these games on a uh, national tv are really good actually and then our last one of the night the final dodgers padres game Chris Taylor started off the scoring with a two-run blast in favor of the Dodgers in the first, a lead which they held until the seventh when Eric Hosmer hit an RBI double to tie it. Hosmer and Pham drove in three more runs late to give the Padres a 5-2 to two win. Give the win to Keon Kella, the loss to Scott Alexander, the save to Mark Melanson, his sixth, 
And then we had Trevor Bauer go six innings, allowing one earned run and seven strikeouts, while Blake Snell went five innings, allowing two earned runs and seven strikeouts. A fantastic series ends up going 2-1 in favor of the Dodgers, but I'm just glad I got to see it. Yeah, the first of quite a few series this year. Uh, So now we for three games out of 19 uh, for these two teams that will face off this year. Uh, Really awesome that we're going to get to see these teams play each other so many times. Let's see if I can figure out when they play again. Next weekend. Next weekend. Wow, that is awesome. All right. Well, that is going to be very fun. Things will still be fresh in their mind. You'd love to see that. All right. Next up, we've got the PPP, particular players people might care about. Uh, I've got three on this list right now. First one is just a little shout out to Michael Kopech again. He has looked like he has every bit of life in his arm still as he did two years ago when he came up and dazzled a lot of people as a top prospect. I mean, he was really poised to be in that kind of maybe, all right, maybe it's a stretch to say on the same, on the same level of Shane Bieber as in competing for Cy Young's at a young age. However, certainly would have been named within the like, Mount Rushmore of top young pitchers, don't you think, with just that talent alone, if he was able to stay healthy, if he can keep it up, if he can build his innings, build his pitch count up, he's going to be an incredible starter. Again, another thing I have been had my eye on for a while. Next up, I got Aaron Nola. Fantastic game, complete game shutout with 10 strikeouts for Nola. He has had a fantastic year. And again, just part of really, I think it's a this could certainly be a year for pitchers this year with just the amount of dominant performances we are seeing so far from all of the top guys. I wouldn't be shocked if this is a legitimate fight down the stretch between DeGrom and Nola. I would love to see it. I need to see it, frankly, because it's always great when somebody's got a challenge and I'm not sure who else I would pick to do that. And they can't use pine tar. So, yeah. So that, should have nullified Trevor Bauer, but he still did a pretty good job. Um, my last guy, Shane Bieber. Another thing, another reason I'm saying this is the year of the pitcher, perhaps, is he is the first pitcher in MLB history to have 10 strikeouts or more in his first four starts. Brandon, this is an absolute tear. We're seeing the reigning AL Cy Young winner go on. I would not be shocked to see him go back to back unless something terrible happened and I wouldn't be shocked to see him carry this Indians team for through more than a couple wins this season as they're not they're not bad but they're not great either but he is a major difference maker yeah he is I mean I picked Lucas Giolito to win the Cy Young but uh, I found it very hard to pick against Shane, Shane Bieber I really had to think about that one uh I was really high on him. I was, I tried to get him in the fantasy draft, was unable to, but he is something. Fantastic. My guy is uh, Guillermo Heredia for the Braves tonight. Uh, he had two home runs, three for four, and six RBIs. Uh, last season in 2020, 
he only had two home runs and five RBIs the entire season. So in one game, he has more home runs and more RBIs than he did the previous year. Uh, yeah, shout out to Guillermo Heredia. Uh, really cool to see him, you know, put on a show and uh, basically already have done what he did last year. On to the leaderboards, uh, just three quick ones today. Of course, we do war and home runs every day. Uh, as for war, for hitters, it's still Ronald Acuna Jr. with 1.6. He also leads in home runs still with seven. As for war for pitchers, it's still Tyler Glass now with 1.4. Uh, Garrett Cole after today's start is at 1.3, so he's very close. For errors, uh, LJ and I were talking about this uh, prior to the show. But Fernando Tatis already at seven errors. And remember, he had that 10-day stint on the injured list. Uh, LJ, this is a crazy number for him to be at through, through a 15 games in the year. Fernando Tatis is easily the best future second baseman in the league right now. I don't know what <laughs> else to tell you. I don't understand how you can get to that number. Something has to be going disastrously long disastrously wrong in your mental game to have seven errors in like 10 games. Am I being fair in saying he's played 10? How many games is this? Let's let me find the exact. He has yeah. played eight games this year, seven errors in eight games. My word. Well, he's on pace for like 150 something now. <laughs> if he was to play the Papa whole Elf year. would have pulled me from the field at this. If I was making errors at this clip. <laughs> my word this is this is not good you better figure it out soon or they're going to have some decisions to make especially if you can end up adopting a guy like Pasyon Kim I forget was he a shortstop in Korea yeah he shortstop. certainly could play that position if they wanted him to they could move Tatis if they felt the need heck if they felt he if they felt he was good enough to stay on the um, left side of the infield, they could switch him and Machado. The options are open there. So I would, you don't know what I would do. Even though I I'm, I'm not a big fan of Manny Machado, I, I can only imagine some of the plays that he can make at, at shortstop. I admit, I I wish no ill will on anyone. However, um, yeah, no, I think it would be interesting to see him go back there. Because how long has it been? He played. Did he play short for the Dodgers? I feel like he played a little on the Orioles at short. Let's see. He came up at short. Okay, so he didn't play games at short until 2015. So that was his fourth year. He came up at third. Came up at third. So he played seven at short in 2015, 45 in 2016, zero in 2017, and then. He played 96 in 2018. He was just the, the Orioles shortstop in 2018 yeah, with the Dodgers. He uh, threw that big hissy fit because he wanted to go into free agency, proving that he could play both third and short. Yeah. And then he gets traded to the Dodgers. He plays uh, more short than third. But so far with the Padres, it's been almost all third, but uh, a little short here and there. Yeah, I yeah because was that the year that uh, Corey Seager was like really hurt? Hurt? Yeah. 
Yeah, he missed 2018, right? Or 2019. Yeah, that must have been because that would be the only reason 18, that, yeah. that spot would be full. Because I, I think I would choose Manny Machado over Chris Taylor. I would choose Corey Seager over Manny Machado any day, if I were the, especially if I were the Dodgers. So you would, th- you would have thought that if they were all healthy, he would be playing third. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, where are we to next? Oh, yes. A quick update on our story from yesterday. Of course, we were talking about how two sets of twins got COVID in Minnesota. They are now reporting that everyone tested negative today that was tested. I don't think that, I don't think that included the four people that tested positive, but the rest of the team is seemingly clean. So that would that would imply that they'll be good to go within the coming days to restart play. So I mean, we still have to wait for the all all clear. We still have to hope things go well for everyone who has COVID, certainly. And let's hope we get back to some baseball soon. The last that I heard, so the Twins game against the Oakland A's is canceled for tomorrow, yes. or for excuse me for today, which is Monday, the nineteenth. Last I heard, the Twins are tra- planning on traveling to Oakland on Tuesday. So uh, to go in, I'm not sure whether or not they're going to play Tuesday, but they plan on traveling to Oakland Tuesday. So, uh, yeah, we'll certainly have another update on tomorrow's show because uh, this is a pretty interesting situation. All right, next up, we got a little birthday wish to say here, Brandon. Happy birthday to the Philly fanatic. Uh, I got this report actually from at Philly's Bell on Twitter, friend of the podcast, Matthew VC's web uh, Twitter page, which he runs, gets a lot of support, really fantastic source for Philadelphia Phillies material. If you're looking for something like that, go check him out. Yeah, this is the Philly fanatic's 43rd birthday after he was introduced on a children's television program just before their for his first game on April 25th, 1978. Hmm. Yeah. So happy birthday, Philly fanatic. It's fantastic knowing you. It's an, it's absolutely fantastic having that Derek Jeter commercial with you using his razor it gets me every time. I love it. All right, Brandon, I'm going to explain this one just because I had the idea. I think I'll go first as well. Um, so basically, if you guys haven't been following, multiple of actually 12 of the top, the best of the best soccer clubs in Europe across all the countries have just announced tonight that they are in plans to form one super league with all of them in it, which basically would nullify champions league. It would take them out of their own national leagues and really completely alter the face of soccer as we know it. Now I don't like the move as much as it seems interesting and exciting to have all of them playing each other all the time. I think that in my opinion, the European model in that regard, on the top level at least, you can argue about whether it's a bad system down the line in the um, secondary leagues. However, I think the European model at the top is probably the most interesting 
way to consume sports ever, just because of the amount that's going on, the amount of cross play across the continent, the amount of competition that stays consistent throughout the season. A lot of that is put in jeopardy with this new deal, which from reports would basically it's got, they've got 12 teams right now. They've invited three teams from Germany and they would have five, those, those 15 teams, if they were to all join would not be able to be relegated. And then they would have an additional five in the league to make it a 20 team league that could be promoted, relegated, all of that in, in and out of that league. Now, as I said, I'm not a fan of this. However, I would be interested to see what we would do if we were to make a league like this, if we were to make a super league in baseball. So I have chosen my 12 picks for the teams that I think should be in. Now, what I did with this was I really focused on what is going to provide the best entertainment value, the best wow factor for everyone who watches. Baseball is a little different than soccer because the vast majority of quality baseball teams are all in the United States. Like the MLB is the best league in the world and it's not very close. So you have all of, all of those guys, all of those teams that have fan bases worldwide, right, Brandon? So it really makes sense to make it the focus there. The other issue is the travel. Europe's unique because it's very close together. The majority of these countries, even if they're notable, even if they're large in population, are pretty small and they're pretty easy to get in between travel-wise. So that makes things much easier than trying to do it as a fully international league would be a real test on travel. So I'm going to start unveiling mine that I have redacted from Brandon so he has not seen any of mine. The first two I'm going to unveil is the obvious ones. The greatest rivalry in sports has to stay Yankees and Red Sox. Boston and New York 100% get put in as two of my 12 teams that I have picked for this Super League. I mean, how can you have the top level of baseball without its best rivalry, without two of the most competitive large markets in the sport? I mean, it just makes no sense to me. Yeah, uh do you want me to also reveal my top two or do you want to go through? Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and do, do top two or really, I mean, it doesn't, I didn't rank them, but reveal two. go ahead. All right. So my, my league is set up a little bit differently. I separated it in between two, two main leagues essentially. So we have the, how do you unhighlight this? There we go. All right. So we have, the Americas and Asia is how I separated this because I figure those are the two best baseball places. And LJ did 12 teams. I did eight teams from America, eight teams from Asia. My top two teams, so in the Americas division, is the exact same. The Yankees and the Red Sox, me and LJ, were thinking alike here. Uh, if you're going to pick two teams, it's either going to be these two or I'm sure the next team that LJ is going to pick or one that's coming up uh, was the was my other choice. That would have been my second team. Yes. So my next two are going to, again, I'm really focusing here on who are the primary baseball fans? How can I tap into the biggest markets and most important markets possible? So that's why my 
three in my four are the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Atlanta Braves. Los Angeles Dodgers are a legacy team through and through, huge fan base from all the way back when they were in New York. So they have internet uh, coast to coast fan base and the Braves, the Braves I've always found fascinating because basically baseball is so huge in the South. People love it. Not as much as, but people do love baseball down there. However, they only have one team for major team to the point where it doesn't feel like there's much of a reason to put one down there because they're not going to get. So it's a no brainer to me to bring in the Braves. All right. Uh, My next two teams in the America's division is the, I went to, I went to Canada for both of these, the Toronto Blue Jays and I have the Montreal Expos returning. Now, you do need to use a little bit of hypothetical here. Uh, in theory, if they were going to have a league like this, I think that the Expos uh, would make sense to have a team once again because the way I have this league set up, uh, it's like, you know, in, it's the Americas. So I need Canada. I need teams from Canada, teams from America, teams from other places as well within uh, North, Central, and South America. So I'm taking the the Toronto Blue Jays. They have a uh, really big fan base in Canada, uh, and uh, they're a pretty big uh, market, have a lot of fans. Expos, I think that that would be a really good rivalry, Toronto and Montreal. uh, I would love to see those two teams face off, but – uh, yeah, the reason why I separated, just want to get this in real quick. The reason why I separated between Americas and Asia is because of travel. I tried to keep it as real as possible. These teams wouldn't be playing each other very frequently in the regular season. You would play most of your games against teams in your continent's division. Yeah, and of course, if you were to do this type of thing, I, I – agree honestly i very much considered putting another team or putting a team in canada and if i were to do it i would have also put in a montreal team but i think it also has to be considered the fact that you're going to play longer series you're not going to be playing two three game series you're probably going to be going closer to seven to nine just so you're not traveling across country because these teams will be so spread out so often Oh, absolutely. Yes. Is it real X3, Brandon? Because I'd love your opinion on this. Again, trying to branch out here. We're hitting uh, Texas. I want to get that market in there. And I also want to hit one of these two legacy teams. However, I don't see a need for them to be both in. So I've got the Astros and then I have the Cubs or the White Sox. I think the it's certainly important. These are two very historic teams in the Cubs and the White Sox. So, Brandon, which do you think is a more important group to hit? I think I'm going to take the Cubs. If I had to choose between those two, I'm going to take the Cubs. Uh, I'm going to talk about them later on. I'm not saying that they are in the Super League, but they are going to come up in a conversation I'm going to have in a few minutes. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to take the Cubs. It seems like that the the White Sox, while they are currently good, 
and are currently an exciting team, you never really think of them as the number one team in Chicago. It's, you know, like that's just kind of the vibe I get off of them. And even though the Cubs in recent years have been on the downswing, the White Sox on the upswing, I like the Cubs uh, for for the, the purposes of this league. Yeah, that's, you see, here's the thing. I fully agree and thought about the fact that the Cubs are the team I think about in Chicago well before the White Sox. However, when you really analyze it, their histories are pretty close in terms of like great players, uh, historically successful teams. And the reason that the White Sox might pull ahead is the management style. If I'm forming a Super League, am I going to want the ownership and the front office that just decided, okay, we're too broke and we don't want to lose money. We don't want to have any deficit to our income out of this team. So we're going to cut a bunch of payroll. We're going to be really bad and we're not going to spend nearly as much money as we could or should just because of the pandemic. Like the, the, the two Chicago teams went in opposite directions when it came to that. So that's why for me, it's a little harder for me to put Chicago in right now because of that. My next two teams. So now we are six. These will be the fifth and sixth team in the Americas division. We have the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants. Uh, because we are going because there's going to be eight teams based in Asia in this Super League. I wanted to make sure I got a few West Coast teams in there. And while I would really like to put the Padres in there currently, the Giants and the Dodgers both have very rich histories. Uh, and, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not specifically saying this for teams that I would want to see in there right now. This is just a hypo, hypothetical, like the, 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 the biggest market teams. That's why I picked the the Dodgers and the Giants, but Padres are like a just missed the cut for me, but they're like more of a new MLB team too. You know, they were an expansion team. So haven't been around for, for very long. I'm going to take the two teams with the rich histories. Yeah, honestly. And the other thing is as much as they've spent money recently, the history is not of them being very good. You want, if you're making a super team, you want the most excellent members in the league i am also going to go back on what i just said there where i was seriously considering the white Sox. i'm taking the white Sox entirely out of this picture right now going all in on the cubs as i unveiled my my next two which are part partially about market but also a lot about legacy the cincinnati reds and the new york mets the mets you can never have too much new york let's be real here it is the biggest market in sports and the reds The Reds are such a historic franchise. You think about the big red machine teams in the 70s. I know for a fact that they still have fans in all sorts of areas from back then. And if they were to join something like this, it would just rile up that fan base even more. So I think they certainly are one of those underrated teams that deserves that market. Mets are in the same same boat where not only do they have a good history, but they're also in a huge market and that's only going to help us help the game. And then you get Yankees Mets in addition to Red Sox Yankees. You also get Cubs Reds. I like it. I, I like that thinking. Uh, 
I could have also gone Cardinals there. Yeah, so my here's my last two, but it, it, it's technically three teams I couldn't choose. So I have the Diablos Rojos de Mexico. Uh, they are the top team historically in the Mexican Professional League. They've won the championship 16 times. Most most of recently was in 2014, but uh, since, you know, they've been pretty, pretty dominant since the turn of the century, winning 2014, 2008, 2003, 2002. Uh, they haven't had a lot of success recently, but uh, they're owned by uh, a – a, a businessman who's worth $1.5 billion. His name is Alfredo Hellu. Uh, so that kind of gives me Steve Cohen vibes. You know, you have a big, you have an owner who really wants to invest money in a team uh, who is very, very rich. And uh, yeah, so I, I wanted to throw uh, some part of Latin America in some team from Latin America into this America's part. And I think it'd be interesting to see how teams like that would stack up against the uh, MLB teams. Obviously there'd have to be some sort of player balance between all the teams, but uh, certainly the location and their, the, the, uh, the baseball culture in Latin America is certainly very, very strong in all of those countries. Uh, yeah. Um, so Brandon kind of stole my thunder here, which makes me want, wish I moved them up to my list. My next two here are the Toronto Blue Jays, who I kind of forgot I put in here, of course, to get that Canadian market. Makes a lot of sense. I know I didn't put the Expos back in, but I really wanted those established histories, and the Jays have proven success. But with the Blue Jays, you're really getting almost the entirety of the Canadian market. I mean, there's they, they largely rally around that team. And I think if we were putting together a super – a super league like this, I, I was kind of operating under the assumption that we would be running under the similar rules that they use, where it's kind of more of a market for everybody, regardless of league. And so I think uh, Diablos Rojos del Mexico really has a great shot if they're on the if they're to be marketed as on the same level as the Yankees, as the Red Sox, as the Dodgers. Not only is that going to get the fan base down there thrilled, people all across Latin America, but that's going to get a lot of those Latin players to want to go down there and play. So they could get some really top-level talent purely because of their location and heritage there that the others aren't going to get. Us talking about this really wants to make, I just really want to go into OOTP and make, actually make this. Cause you can turn off free agency and that kind of stuff. And you can just allow players to be purchased by other teams. So uh, yeah, I might be up late tonight doing this, <laughs> but uh, so I'm going to move on to my Asian division. So just to run through the, Oh, actually I didn't, did I even, I didn't even talk about my, the, my last two teams actually. So in the Americas, I had the, the Diablos Rojos from Mexico. Then the last two, I couldn't choose between the Cardinals or the Cubs, both two very strong baseball markets. Uh, 
LJ put them both in his league. Uh, Actually, I didn't. Something I'm regretting because I forgot about the Cardinals, oh, who have no. been over the years incredibly consistent in that central as really like they they have become the premier team of consistency, of competitiveness, of being a consistent winner in that division. So I'm I'm actually that's going to be a talking point next grouping is who I should kick out for the Cardinals because I'm starting to feel kind of strongly about them being there. And you also get the whole Midwest America market too. Yeah, whatever whatever the Reds and the Cubs don't cover, you get with yeah. St. Louis. Um, do you want me to do my last ones then you can run through your Asian market? Right? Yeah, sure, because I'm just going to do the, the Asian one in one swoop because I don't have much insight on those teams, but I can give a little uh, – yeah, so my last two are the Giants, of course, another team like the Dodgers, Yankees, Red Sox, Braves that have a rich, rich history and have always been in a big, a huge or big market. San Francisco is a pretty good spot to land guys and build a consistent winner. They're another franchise that's been incredibly stable and have of course that deep deep history being from new york the phillies is the one that i'm kind of um leaning away from philly don't hate me however you're a big market you've got a good history however i'm not sure especially when you're leaving out the cardinals that the yankees mets and phillies are necessary especially seeing their market is so close together philadelphia Philadelphia and New York basically fight over New Jersey attention. And so I feel like if you're going to have all of them, that's a little crowded for that. So I guess my question is, Brandon, who do you take, the Phillies or the Mets? I think you got to go with the Mets so you can keep that, you know, two two teams in one area vibe because mm-hmm. you see the same thing in like right now in the current English Premier League, how many teams are based out of London? You know, like to have two teams in one city, I think is is uh, r- really good for not only talking points, but just like you can build great stories and narratives out of it. And then you get the whole culture of the city being split between the two teams. So, yeah. And then real quick before I forget, the rest of my league past the 12 would be filled out by division winners from the other from all the divisions last year, the top, the winner in the Mexican league and one team from the Pacific, either Japan, Korea, any of those, whoever is deemed the top, whether it's through a plan or by committee decision, they will be allowed to come over and they'll be allowed to play in that league for the year. So I'm going to run through my Asian teams, my eight that I picked. I picked four from the KBO and four from the uh, NPB. So let's run through them quick. But uh, So the first four from the NPB, I have the Yumiori Giants, who are uh, essentially the Yankees of the NPB. From everything that I've read, they have a very, very rich history. I've certainly heard stories about them through 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 my my baseball knowledge. But uh, 
Yeah, I kind of want to get into Asian baseball. It seems like it's just so, so exciting. There's so much culture there. Everything is so, you know, the fans are really, really into it. Like every pitch, they're essentially standing up, clapping. Like they're very into it. Uh, the other three from the NPB, I have the Fukuka SoftBank Hawks, the Rakuten Eagles, and the Nippon Ham Fighters. Those, uh, from at least what I read and found, are the four big markets. You get Tokyo, you get other big parts of Japan there. And um, they've been the four top teams there in, you know, uh, historically. So uh, I think that they would be good fits. And then I have four teams from the KBO. I have the the Adusen Bears, who have been very successful in recent history. The Samsung Lions the NC Dinos and the Kiwoon Heroes. Uh, those are also four of the biggest teams in the KBO. And so I think it'd be interesting to see the NPB versus KBO games because uh, those would be very, very exciting to see those teams actually face off because it's such a different play styles. In, in a Japan, everything is based on fundamentals. You see a lot of uh, sacrifice bunting you see a lot of stealing you see a lot of uh so much is driven by uh how how good you are in the field and then there's also you know where it's like the the starting pitchers go for much longer there is no extreme bullpen management so to see the style of play between the teams uh between not only the mpb but the kbo which is more uh based like the United States and how the MLB plays. So the style of play between all these teams would be very, very exciting. Not only to mention, I don't, I'm not even really sure how they play down there in, in, in Mexico, but uh, yeah, this idea is just seems very, very fun. Oh, absolutely. I will admit it's a little low that you left out my LG twins. Yeah. Kind of had to. I think you though. I mean, I could take out Samsung, I guess, or Kiwoom. I talked to Sam. I talked to Samsung. <laughs> Big Poppy. Dude, best SNL ever. Oh, well. I think that's about it for the night. Is that it? I think so. Did we go two hours? No. Believe it or not, we're only at an hour and 22 right now. Oh, wow. Okay. I honestly think we might be less than that. Uh there's only seven games uh, today. Uh, of course, the first starting at 11.10 a.m., the White Sox and the Red Sox. The last starting at 10.10, the Dodgers and Mariners, and then the, 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 the Brewers and the Padres. But uh, So, yeah, it should be a short episode for uh, tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, that's going to do it. Uh, for this episode of the MLB Daily Podcast, make sure you're following Belly Up Sports on Twitter at Belly Up Sports at Belly Up Podcast. Me and LJ on Twitter at Brandon underscore Karam at LJ underscore VP underscore Lafiora. And make sure you are following the podcast on Twitter at MLB Daily Pod. That's going to do it. Uh, have a good night, everyone, and uh, enjoy your Monday. Bye, y'all. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 